Well, welcome. It's, it's glad to see many of you back in the theater. Um, welcome to those of you who are also watching us online. If you're joining us for the first time, you've heard a little bit this morning that we're in the book of First Peter. This is our third week. In the first week, Pastor Alex talked about uh, Peter's journey and his life story so that we could see how amazing it was that he called Jews alongside Gentiles elect exiles of the dispersion. And last week, as uh, Pastor Colin already mentioned this morning, he talked about our secure inheritance that we have in the Lord. And so this morning, where we're turning to is 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10, and we're, we're getting what I call salvation in perspective. And I know that needs some explanation, so what do I mean by that? Well, like many of you, I was forced to take a lab science in school, and so I opted to try to find the easiest lab science, one that would be the least work, it was an easy A, and so I found one called Science in Perspective. And what this class actually did was, it gave us the history, the foundations, the philosophical underpinnings of science. We looked at famous people, we recreated famous experiments, all the time understanding where modern science was because of where it had come from. And with that philosophical foundation, with that past perspective, we could better understand how to interact with things in modern science. And so I got a lot more out of the class than I expected, to be honest. Um, But I think what Peter is doing here is offering us our salvation in perspective. By looking forward, or by looking back at the past, we can see the present and the future much more clearly. And so you young worshipers with us this morning, as I read this passage, I have a question for you. My question is, how did God's people write about events that hadn't even happened yet? That's the question for you this morning. So would you stand as I read the word of God? First Peter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, this is your word given to us. It is true. We say every week the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. O Lord, guide us as we see your beautiful unfolding story for us, and we see our salvation in your divine perspective. Amen. You can be seated. People need a melody to open their eyes, like a key to a memory frozen in time. Holding on to everything, you're stuck in the past. Boy, when are you going to learn? The world moves fast. These are lines from a song called aptly named The People Need a Melody by the indie folk band The Head and the Heart, released in 2019. And even without the musical background, we start to get a pull and see and feel something that this song is pushing us towards. You see, these words actually strike a chord with us because we realize we do need a melody. We need a big story. We need a story so we can understand evil, disease, division, and racism, and yet at the same time say those things are wrong and condemn them. We also need a story to give us a sense of hope, of unity, of justice. We need something that both makes sense of the past and gives us hope for the future, all the while giving us purpose in this present time. 
We need a melody. We need a story. And this is what salvation, this is what the gospel story, the gospel melody gives us. And so here in 1 Peter, we see Peter putting that on display for us. And he's telling the dispersed exiles these truths. He's saying, despite their ethnic differences, despite their physical distance from one another, despite the different socioeconomic strata, they can be united in the gospel melody. And so for those of you suffering, for those of you who feel alone, for those of you that are taken up in this age and spirit of individualism that we find all over today, this is what we need. This is the melody that we need together. And if you're not a Christian this morning, by seeing the gospel melody, by seeing the salvation and perspective, you can see what beautiful offer there is of grace in the gospel. So I ask that you stay with us this morning and see those things and see what's at stake. So in this salvation and perspective, we get three different perspectives from Peter. We get the perspective of the prophets, the perspective of the preachers, and the perspective of the angels. So first we come to the prophets. Look with me in verse 10. It goes from 10 to the very beginning of verse 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. So we come to the prophets, and we see when we hear the word prophet, it's helpful to explain that we should think about Moses going forward in the Old Testament. You know, in in Luke 24, Jesus has been resurrected, and he's walking with two of his followers who don't know it's him. They don't understand. And they're really, really puzzling over what happened, right? Jesus is no longer in the grave. What happened? And he said, do you not know, essentially, that the whole Old Testament points to the sufferings and glory of Christ? He says, it says, "From from Moses on towards the prophets, he explained to them how all the scriptures pointed to himself. And so when we hear prophets, we think about the whole Old Testament. But also this morning in this passage, Peter is specifically talking about the prophets that predicted the sufferings and glory of Christ. We see that in verse 11. It talks about those that predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Now we see that they inquired carefully, right? They searched. And that word here for inquired carefully is used outside of the Bible for people going door to door looking for somebody. Is he here? No. Is he here? No. Is he here? No. We know he's here somewhere. We have to find him. So they searched and they inquired carefully. You see, the prophets in the Old Testament knew that God would act. They knew he would act in history to deliver his people. And they even had some of the details, but they still had questions. We look at that beginning of verse 11. They say, he was inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So they were still inquiring. They were still trying to understand There are actually many of these examples in our liturgy this morning, so I encourage you sometime, maybe this afternoon or this week, to go back in the liturgy and see the examples of the prophets talking about these things. And just to give us a sense of some of the things that were predicted in the Old Testament, um, in Genesis, there was a promise of an offspring that would bruise the head of the serpent and also would bring blessing to the nations. In Jeremiah, we have a promise of a righteous branch. In Isaiah, a suffering servant. And Daniel, one like a son of man. And Zechariah, him who they have pierced. All these and more refer to Jesus. All of these things that were written years, hundreds of years before his birth, point to him. So the question is, why did the prophets write? And actually the answer in verse 12 we see is, not only did they write to their own time, but they also wrote for us. 
for believers at the time of 1 Peter and for believers today. Look at the beginning of verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, but us. This is the collective, the church. They were serving us. Now listen to Peter, because Peter, for a lot of his life, actually misunderstood the prophets. He was steeped in the tradition. He knew that a Messiah was coming. He had had read a lot of these passages. He knew them. But like many around him, he was looking for a political figure, someone who would come in and deliver them from the hands of the Romans. And he was looking both to, he was looking basically in the middle, right? He didn't understand that the Messiah would be God himself in flesh. And he also didn't understand that the Messiah had to suffer and die. And so in a passage like Matthew 16, Peter actually says to, God, says to Jesus, don't go and be killed. Don't be handed over. And Jesus has very strong words for him because Jesus knows this is what he was meant for. And so now Peter has seen the sufferings of Christ, seen his resurrection glory, and now goes back and understands, oh, I missed it. This is what the prophets were pointing to. And so when we see prophecy today, when we see it in movies and books and TV, we get excited when we see it, even if it's you know, something that's completely fake or fiction. You think about Star Wars, right? There's the prophecy of the chosen one is going to bring balance to the force. Or in Harry Potter, one who would vanquish the Dark Lord. And when we see somebody fulfill these prophecies, we get really excited. We feel the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. But we have actually been given true prophecy in the Bible. We can look back at the Old Testament and see predictions that were fulfilled by Jesus. And it's truly amazing. The Bible is true prophecy for us today. And so the question is, how does this perspective from the prophets help us? Well, it helps us to know that God has a plan in history, right? He did all the way back at the time of the prophets, and he still does. It gives us hope that God has not abandoned us. He has hope for us. And just as the prophets looked forward and inquired carefully as to Christ, now we've seen Christ because he's come, but we also know that he's coming again. And so just like the prophets, we also are looking forward to the return of Christ. And so we can understand that from them and get comfort in the midst of waiting. Because it's hard to wait. We don't know when Christ will return. We don't have the details, but we know and we can be sure that he is coming. And so just as they did, we faithfully trust the Lord in this time before he comes again. So that's the perspective of the prophets. Next, we have the perspective of the preachers. Look at me in verse 12, the middle of verse 12. So the prophets were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So here we have the preachers. Now preachers refers to a very broad group of people. It's the apostles in the New Testament. It's the New Testament writers. But it's also all of those who share what's called the good news in this passage, right? That gospel melody, that gospel story. And so all of us who share the good news and announce the good news in this passage are also being referred to. And since the news is Christ's sufferings and glory, it's all of us on this side of the cross who have understood why Jesus came. Now this is also a gift because not only do we have the predictions of the prophets, we have the New Testament and it's been announced to us by people around us, by people who believe in the good news. So if we didn't get it from the prophets, we'll see it in the New Testament, and we'll see it because it's preached to us, and we hear it from one another. Now, further, I want you to think about this. Who have you heard the gospel from in your life? Not just pastors, 
but also parents. Not just family, but also friends. Even strangers, many of you. Think about how you've heard the gospel. Right? That is a blessing that we get to hear the gospel again and again through those we know and those we love and also those we don't know. But there's a question that comes up, especially for the skeptic this morning. How can this be one unified story? We had the prophets so many years ago. We had the New Testament writers. Now we have people preaching. How do we know it's the same thing? How, how do we know that? Right? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit, and that's found throughout this passage. In verse 11, we see the Spirit called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that Christ promised, the Spirit that was given after he rose again. So we have the Spirit of Christ. And then in verse 12, we see it again, right? The preachers preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And you see, if we read the rest of the New Testament, we understand the Holy Spirit has been given to all believers, And so that's what can actually keep us on the same page, can unify us in this gospel melody. Now, there are three words really quick to describe the Holy Spirit's work that we see here and elsewhere that I think will really help us understand how it kind of unifies things together. The first is regeneration. The Holy Spirit makes us alive in Christ. We heard Ezekiel 37 read this morning, right? The promise that God would raise his people from the dead by his Spirit. Next, we have, we have uh, inspiration. The Spirit inspired those who were the authors of Scripture. We saw it here, right? The Spirit of Christ in the prophets indicated or predicted the sufferings and glories of Christ. In 2 Peter, Peter actually says, the Spirit carried along those who wrote the Scripture. So we have the Spirit who is inspiring those who wrote. And lastly, we have illumination, which means that the Spirit guides those of us now who read and guides us to understand what the Lord has presented in Scripture. And because the Spirit is the one who regenerated us and the one who inspired the Word and now the one who illuminates us, we can have a unity in our gospel message. Let me give you an illustration of what this kind of unity is like. Think about the last English class you were in and you had a a prompt that everybody in the class had to write on. You know, it's pretty narrow and so everybody kind of does similar things. You know, if, if I read all of those essays... I could tell they're coming from a similar prompt. And let's say somebody tries to sneak in an essay from a different class, I would be able to tell, right? And that's only just with the teacher giving you a prompt and saying, write it. But the Holy Spirit actually inspired the very words that the authors wrote. And so that's how we can have a unified gospel message by the Spirit. And so this perspective from the preachers also gives us an idea that unity comes by the Spirit, through prayer through time spent together, through time in the Word, we can trust that the Lord will bring us to unity with His gospel. Now, it's not always easy. There are many things in the Bible that are hard. But we can trust in the Spirit of the Lord to bring us in to unity. And so that way we have hope in times of division, right? We have hope for the future that actually we can find unity together in the gospel. And also this means as believers, we have that same Spirit And this also means that we are preachers. We are announcers of the good news. And so all of you today, if you believe in the gospel, if you're a Christian, you are in this category of announcers of the good news. And so my encouragement to you is say, how am I living as to announce the good news? How am I actually announcing it with my words? Who am I I telling this beautiful gospel story with? And so that's something that we can do, but we don't do it alone. We do it by the power of the Spirit. And it is great to know that it's not up to us, but rather we have the Spirit 
that we can fall back on and the Spirit can help us. The Spirit can guide us to remembrance of the Word. So that was the second perspective, the perspective of the preachers. And lastly, we have the perspective of the angels. Probably the oddest part of this passage, maybe if you've heard this passage before, you've kind of zeroed in on this, this phrase at the end. So it's at the very end of verse 12. We see the things, right, going back to salvation, things into which angels long to look. What does that mean? Well, in order to understand this, we need to know what angels are throughout the the Bible. So angels, we see our messengers, our announcers from God. They're also called, it's an older word, but they're called his heralds. And so they bring news, they bring messages. They came to Mary and announced the birth of Christ, for example. Now, when we see angels in this passage or in other passage, it's really easy to pivot and just figure out what is it saying about angels, what do we know about angels, all that sort of thing. But it's important not to lose sight of Peter's point. Scott McKnight, a scholar, puts it so well. He says, angels are not here for our speculation, but rather to press into our minds the privileges of salvation. Angels are here not for their own sake, but for us to see the beauty of the gospel melody and the gospel story. You see, it says here that the angels long to look. Literally, they greatly desire to stoop down and see what's going on. Warren Esdale, a pastor in Australia, has a, has a great point here. He says, if salvation was a reality TV show, the angels could not stop watching it. They would be binge-watching this. They would spend all their time watching this because they want to see what's going on. So this is what it means when it says the angels long to look. But there's also a little bit of a wordplay here that's hard for us to see. You see, the word angels and the word announced here in verse 12 both come from the same root. So the ones who are the very messengers of God, the very announcers of God, want to see this message, want to see this announcement. And it should make us look with renewed eyes at the grace that's offered in the gospel. And it's important to note that we depend on this message in a way that the angels don't. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. So I'm sure many of you have seen a public proposal. You know, you're out walking, you're at a park, you're you're by a lake, and somebody gets down on one knee and proposes. Well, it doesn't matter who you are, and you might not be a part of the proposal, but you all of a sudden are really interested, right? You want to go over there and see, you want to crane your neck to look, you want to ooh and ah, you want to clap. And that is great. That is good because you recognize the joy that is going on. Now, is it your joy necessarily? No, it's not your wedding, it's not your proposal but you recognize the joy that is there. It's the same kind of thing. The angels long to look in this because they see the great glory and love of God on display in this gospel story that is a gift to us. And so that's what it means that angels long to look into this. And so my question to us is, you know, if salvation is a story, if salvation is, you know, this show that angels long to look into, are we tuned into it? Are we coming back to it again and again? Because sometimes it can feel like, okay, I've got this, I've heard it once, we're good. But the gospel continues to change us and continues to have a depth that every time we come back to it, we see the glory and love of God renewed more and more and more. And I think we understand this a bit right now because we haven't been able to meet together in this theater for a long time. And so now we're back to it. And we find joy in things that seem to be just normalized a long time ago. We find joy in singing together, even if we have to wear a mask. We find joy in hearing God's word. And so we understand that there is joy and depth to this gospel story that we can never plumb the depths of on this side of eternity. And so we have this perspective 
from the angels. And so we've seen this salvation from the perspective of the prophets, the preachers, and the angels. But, but what does this gospel story boil down to, right? We've, we've talked about in history, we've talked about the future. Where does it boil down? And, and that's right there at the end of verse 11. The sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You see, this is the beauty of the gospel, that those of us who are unlovable, those of us who had fallen away, who had rebelled from God, even though made in his image, God, while we were still sinners, made us alive in him. Jesus became a man and went to the cross for us so that we could be reconciled to God and be a part of this story and find this love, right? Be a part of this future marriage of Christ and his church. That is beautiful. That is the center of the gospel story. But also when we see this idea of sufferings and glory in 1 Peter, when we see suffering, sometimes it's referred to as the sufferings of Christ, but oftentimes it's referred to the suffering of Christ's people. And that actually goes together because you see those of us who are in Christ, united to Christ, will experience suffering on this side of glory. But just as Christ's sufferings and glory was sure and certain, based on the predictions and announcements of the prophets, our future glory is sure and certain. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God himself. Jesus suffered for us, and he satisfied the wrath of God in order to bring us into the kingdom. And this is a kingdom of righteousness, of love and joy, but also a kingdom of justice. The cross brings us back to the Father and gives us hope. Hope in the midst of the feeling of insignificance and division and individualism, a unified and glorious hope. This is no cleverly devised myth or cosmic joke. Rather, this is the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told. And for those who don't believe this morning, this is what's freely offered in Christ. You see, its beauty far surpasses anything we could create or make up. A G.K. Chesterton, a a Christian put it this way in his book, Orthodoxy. He said, he said this, he said, I was always rushing out of my architectural study with plans for a new turret. And this is him trying to manufacture something he can believe in. I was always rushing out of my architectural study with plans for a new turret, only to find it sitting up there in the sunlight, shining, a thousand years old. Understanding that the things that we long for most The God-given glorious desires are only satisfied in this gospel story and in this gospel melody. The people need a melody, and this is it. And I'll leave you with one last story this morning. I I know someone who was asked to speak in chapel on a college campus, and they said, hey, you have an amazing life story, so please just tell the story of your life for these 20 minutes. And so he got up, and he spoke, and he spoke for 20 minutes, and he spoke on the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And afterward, you know, somebody came up to him and said, hey, that was great, that was wonderful, but you didn't tell your story. And his response was, no, I did tell my story because my story is Christ's story. This is the beauty of the gospel, that no matter what, if we are in Christ, our story is Christ's story. Our song is this gospel melody. And there is no greater hope There is no greater love, there is no greater savior, there is no greater story than what is offered to us in the gospel. So we can find hope and joy and peace and unity in that. This is the greatest gift God has ever given. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is so big of a thing that we cannot understand it, that we have to come back again and again to understand how could you love us this way? How could you give us this great gift? Even in the midst of our rebellion, you gave us life. Uh, Lord, thank you for this gathering of your saints. Thank you that we can come to your table together. And Lord, impress on us this gospel story, that our story is Christ's story. Amen.